Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. April is here, and that means it's time for basketball playoffs. You can use our promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V, Five zero to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Then you can use that 50% welcome bonus at Bet Online Sportsbook to place a plus 6,000 bet on my Sacramento Kings to light the beam and win the NBA championship. Bet Online, where the game starts. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? Good, thanks. Yourself? Uh, we're doing pretty well over here. We, uh, we got to full work this weekend and just found out that uh, the Kings are going to play the Warriors in round one. So Woo! we're going to be driving back and forth across the bay, presumably. Right. Oh, my goodness. Fantastic. Yeah. Can we get cranky? Yeah, let's get going. Uh, As always, this is the Walter Mitchell Golf Power Hour coming off of the first major championship of the year. It's been a minute since we've done this. I'm sure there's a lot of interesting stuff to get into. But as always, Walter, I'm just going to cede the floor to you and uh, break down what you thought about the uh, the golf weekend. Spectacular. Um, You know, John Rahm, what a story all the symbolism of this victory for him on Seve Ballesteros' birthday. He would have been 66 yesterday, uh, 40 years on this exact date that Seve won his second um, green jacket. Uh, Ram wouldn't have been there without Seve Ballesteros, as the story goes, because um, it was a chance encounter to meet Seve um, when Ram was a kid that um, <clears throat> that inspired him to play golf and um, you know Seve became one of his idol- idols Jose Maria Olfabel was another one um, and he became the fourth Spaniard to win the Masters tournament um, and kind of in historic fashion I mean coming from behind um and, uh, you know, I think he was four behind Brooks Kepka um, at uh, the start of the day yesterday, which they were going to resume um, the third round, which was suspended due to those that cold rain, heavy rain that um, saturated the course on Saturday. Um, that was just a, a glorious day for golf. And, um, it was a just stunning display of, of patience and textbook game planning by Rom. He was so um, well prepared, having never won a, a Masters before. This is his second major. Um, you know, starting with on hole 12, you know, starting on the Amen corner, I know that Rom later said he, he felt like he really needed to. Be, be strong during, you know, on, on 10, 11, and 12 um, to get through Amen Corner, and he was. I mean, well, what he did was not only on 12 did he did he shoot for the middle of that little green um, and hit it just right. Um, on 13, he, um, he went for the middle of the green when um, after he crushed his drive on the par 5, I mean, that, those are the kind of things that champions do is they understand that, you know, when you go pin hunting on um, at, at Augusta, um, like on the 12th, where the typically every, well, every fourth round on the final round, the hole is on the tucked into the right corner of that green. And if, if you miss to the right, you're really in trouble. So, you know, anyone who's, pin hunting for, you know, on that hole can get in trouble as so many golfers have and 
many golfers have lost the tournament on that hole. Uh, Rom was up to the task. He had an excellent game plan, and he he steadily made his way through the course, uh, scoring a 69, um, 300 par um, on a day when Brooks Kapka um, struggled, um, came in with a 75, on a day when Phil Nick Mickelson made a classic run um, to uh, finish with a 65, and um, but wound up eight, uh, four strokes behind. Jordan Spieth went on a birdie. I think he, I read he, during the course of the tournament, he had 21 birdies. Um, Spieth was feast or famine, though, um, up and down on some of the other holes. And, um, but, boy, what a, what a uh, four days for Spieth. Patrick Reed um, came in strong with a 68. Russell Henley, the Georgia native, made a run himself. Came in at 70. Um, he was at minus seven with Reed and Spieth um, for uh, tied for fourth place. Uh, Kepka was Kepka and Mickelson tied for second at minus eight. And um, Victor Hovland had a really nice uh, weekend. Uh, he finished, but he, he struggled down the stretch yesterday, unfortunately. Um, and uh, on the back nine in particular. Um, and I was really rooting for him. I was thinking he might be the first Norwegian to win the gold, the green jacket. Um, he's an up and coming player. I think he'll take a lot out of this tournament. Um, he's just on the verge of trying to break through. And so it was, uh, I think, just a, you know, a wonderful four days. Um, loved getting up in the morning and watching the resumption of round three. Uh, <laughs> that fired things up, and then he had about two hours off to have lunch and then resume play in the, the fourth round. Uh, yeah, uh, pretty cool. And I have an Arizona Cardinals-related story coming up, too, um, uh, about a text that John Rahm received from one of the Cardinals right before teeing off on Thursday. Uh, so, but yeah, I, <clears throat> I was really, really impressed and, and uh, inspired by what, by what I saw. How about you? Yeah. Well, first of all, John Rahm does live out there in Arizona now, so he's got a, a couple of those connections in there yeah. and, uh, yeah, I, mean, I my connection to that was kind of cool to see Rom win just because I'll always have that moment of being at Torrey Pines when he had that comeback a couple years ago to win his first major. So I I think it's cool to see Rom get number two and to win a green jacket. And because sometimes there sometimes there's masters where the person who wins is either someone who is a, a bit of an obscure golfer or someone who you know, it's kind of weird that they ended up winning or you get the high drama at the end with a tiebreaker. This was yeah. one where it's one of the all-time great golfers. I don't know how they do the Golf Hall of Fame, but the equivalent of a Golf Hall of Famer dominates the tournament and puts on a career-defining performance. I mean, maybe his career-defining performance will be that U.S. Open where he makes the comeback at the end at Torrey Pines. But right. <clears throat> if... This was about John Rahm and him dominating the weekend. And even if it was a lot of pars at the end, it was still John Rahm kind of establishing himself as one of these all-time great golfers. And no one really had a chance of catching him. And so the whole way through, it was one of those celebrations of Rahm and, and really a celebration of his career that I thought was interesting. I, I used to be a big Jordan Spieth guy back when I was really into golf as a as a high school kid. So seeing him make a charge was kind of cool. And uh, obviously he bogeyed the last hole, which knocked him out of, I think, a tie for second if he doesn't right. bogey 18. Uh, I think him and Phil were in the same group. So it was kind of interesting to see them kind of play along with each other, both putting up, I think, the two best scores of the entire Sunday playing in the same group. So. Right. That that part was interesting. Uh, those are kind of the biggest takeaways I had from it. Seeing uh, seeing Shoffley kind of hang around there is always interesting. Him and uh, Morikawa were both top 10 finishes, even though they weren't 
the the preeminent group featured on the day and uh you know i thought it was going to be a brooks kepka championship and then everyone was going to feel awkward about brooks kepka winning the championship but uh by about one o'clock my time four o'clock your time it was pretty clear that kepka had just totally fallen off going into the the last day which happens we we see it happen year after year where someone's in the lead or tied for the lead. And then they just shoot four over on the last day. It happened to the other two people in this final group with Hovland and, uh, and Kepka both shooting over par when not a whole lot of people were shooting over par. So uh, it was, it was interesting to see a coordination for Rom Kepka was the story then wasn't the story. Cause by, like I said, by like the ninth hole, it was pretty clear. He wasn't really in contention anymore. Yeah, uh, you know, what's interesting to me is the whole live um, context of this. Uh, now, three live golfers lived up to the moment of being um, top 10 uh, finishers. Kep, Brooks Kepka, uh, Phil Mickelson, who'd have thunk it at his age. That was, I think, the lowest score someone in the 50s has ever scored um, aggregate. Um Although maybe Jack did better than that. I don't know, but it was right up there in one of the It was the they confirmed on the broadcast is the oldest top five finish in the history of the Masters. Okay. So that's pretty cool for Mickelson and Patrick Reed, um, as well. Um and uh Joachim Neiman finished and tied for sixteenth. So live players played well, but not well enough. And it begged the question to me is that with the live uh, setup, their tournaments are only three rounds, right? Mm-hmm. So you know to see Kepka fall apart on the fourth round, you know it made made me wonder, you know whether now Mickelson came on like gangbusters on the fourth round, had his best round of the tournament, but just the same, um, you know I'm not sure the live does these guys any favors because as we know, you know. Uh, in a, in like four quarter sports like football, you can be dominating for three quarters and still lose the game. Um, it's how you finish. It's not how you start. And, uh, you know, this uh, four days at the Masters is a marathon, you know, unfortunately caught up to Tiger Woods because of all the extended play. You know, he wasn't going to able to be able to walk, you know, a round and a half in one day. Um, you know, from sunrise to sunset. And uh, it was understandable that he, he uh, withdrew under those circumstances. But it's a test of stamina uh, physically and mentally. And the four days that, you know, that extra fourth day is huge. So, um, but on the one hand, if you're talking about getting the top 10, the live golfers had three uh, of the top 10. But in terms of finishing, um one of the real stalwarts on the, uh, you know, the two guys who've been eating up the uh, the PGA Tour, John Rahm and, uh, you know, Scotty Scheffler. I mean, Scheffler missed a ton of short putts. He, you know, he finished minus four, tied for 10th with your boy Schauffele and, and Marikawa, Marikawa, um, you know, and Matt Fitzpatrick, the, the Britishman. Um you know, Scheffler, oh man, he must be kicking himself because he had so many good looks um, and just had an off weekend of putting for him, um, which he didn't have last time he played uh, when he won in the fall. Um, so, you know, it was, but but these guys have been pushing each other and on the PGA Tour and have been top of leaderboards and been consistently well. And Spieth has been having a good year. So, He's in the mix. I'm, I'm just saying, and then, you know, I love the look of uh, Sahith Thigala um, as an up-and-comer. He had a stunning 67 yesterday to finish in ninth place at minus five. I mean, I think that the PGA Tour has never been in better shape, um, and I think it conditions them probably better for, uh, than the live guys based on the, you know, four outs. Now, some of, 
Someone could say maybe it takes more out of them because they're playing more golf or whatever. I don't think so. I think, you know, I think the more you compete, the more you uh, and you get used to a four day setup, um, you know, the better prepared you will be um, to compete in these in these uh, majors. And we have three more coming up and uh, which is pretty cool. One of the things one of the real highlights of, of the weekend, too, was the play of amateur Sam Bennett um, from Texas A&M, whose coach was on the bag for him, which is so cool. I mean, Bennett acquitted himself so well, started out with 268s. Um, it was right up. In fact, um, at the beginning of the day yesterday, was because they went to threesomes, he was in the final parent, final trio uh, there for a while. And, um, you know, to finish the tournament uh, minus two for an amateur and to be in contention the way he was, what a just really outstanding performance from him and uh you know it got away a little from him yesterday he had his uh, uh, you know up and down day yesterday he finished 76 and 74 um but still i mean this is a young man who's obviously got a very bright future and uh loves love his ball striking and i think he's pretty good around the greens i thought his chipping was really good and you know, and at times he got the blade going and, and was sinking putts first two days pretty regularly. So, you know, that that's a, just another new bright star on the potential star on the scene. And, um, yeah, I, you know, Brooks Kepka was just kind of, you know, I don't know what happened. He just started compounding one sort of poor – Poor shot after the other. He couldn't control his driver. He was missing fairways and getting in trouble and, you know, behind trees and having a knockout. And um, that always is a huge consideration in, in majors. You really need to hit those fairways. And uh, Ram was doing a better job of it, um, obviously. Kept it kind of lost his touch around the greens. At Augusta, that's so easy to do. Um, we saw the putting was just... Uh, really difficult at times. Um, nothing is is a given on those greens, and they were they were. I don't know if you noticed this, but they were putting the greens, particularly in round three, under the difficult conditions on the top of crowns, or right near the crowns on greens. That that's just a combination that's so difficult. And uh, yesterday for the final round, they put a bunch of the greens in 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 hollows where the ball could trickle down to the hole, which made it really fascinating and interesting. Like on the classic 16th hole, mm -hmm. um, where if you hit it just right, it funnels right down to the hole as, as we've seen. So um, historically in the past. So um, the setup was great. The, the greenskeepers there have to be world. I mean, they're the most world-class greenkeepers um, going. Um, the only thing aesthetically that was disappointing to me was, Many of the azaleas had already um, fizzled out um, and browned out um, because typically, and I don't know if we can attribute this to global warming and climate change, uh, probably can, but typically on April 9th, on the weekend of April 9th, um, those azaleas are like just so brilliantly colorful behind like the 12th green, the 13th green. You know, those water holes um, by Ray's Creek, uh, you know, but mm -hmm. other than that, um, yeah. What do you think of Kep what happened to Kepka? So with Kepka, I don't know exactly what it is. I would lean in the direction of he's had like a surgically repaired knee and a broken kneecap and right. he's 32 years. I, I think that I think the knee problems are the reason why it seemed pretty clear like Kepka wasn't going to have uh, a run at a major anymore because during those those two or three years where he, he won four majors, was the number one golfer in the world, it, it seemed like there was no reason he couldn't win six, seven, eight majors akin to Phil Mickelson until uh, 2021. He had the knee surgeries. And right. so 
I'm going to guess that knee surgeries had something to do with it at the end. And it's also part of why he probably was more inclined to join the live tour is based on the fact that his career was kind of winding to a close anyways. I mean, I know in golf, you can play into your forties, but you know, playing at a high level of competition for Kepka probably wasn't in the cards anymore. Uh, he only played, I think they said he only played six hole. He only played six holes within two days because of the rain out on right. Saturday. Right. Um, so, I mean, that helps in a certain extent, but I think by the end, his, his knee just had kind of given out on him. And I think, I don't know if that's the case, but that's what I would guess. I think the, the live tour thing, it, I don't know if there's enough evidence to point to like, oh, they're starting to play shorter rounds. So how do their fourth round scores look? We just need more data points to confirm it or deny it. Like you yep. said, Mickelson had a charge. Reed had a charge, but other guys like Neiman didn't do anything. Uh, I think Kevin Na withdrew from the tournament at one point. So there is an interesting point to that where live golfers in a couple of years won't be able to qualify unless they're, you know, legacy guys who have won before or get invites for top right. 10 finishes or whatever it is. But uh, I I don't know, confirm or deny the live tour thing. There's just not enough data. I'm going to guess that Kepka's knees were probably the root cause for his collapse. If there is any root cause, I mean, like you said, part of it was, the drives didn't end up straight at the end and uh, right. maybe maybe there's physical stuff around it. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Well, looking down at the live players who played in the tournament, um... Their let's look at their final rounds, okay? So let's start with uh, um, Dustin Johnson, 70, he was 78 75 on the week, on you know, mm -hmm. between round three and uh, Thomas Peters, 77, um, Carl Schwartzel, 77 yesterday, uh, Abraham Answer. 76 yesterday now notice too that some of them had to play you know um it was a long day like jim nance said from sunrise to sunset so i think you know in terms of terms of stamina maybe mentally with kapka he you know uh, knowing he had to play all that those extra holes in one day maybe caught up to him mentally a little bit like you said he hadn't played much golf after the first two rounds where he was able to capitalize on playing the course at the most optimum times um, before the weather set in. He had the late start on um, later start on Thursday and then the early start, which was huge on Friday before the rain started coming in and the wind. So, you know, um, Joachim Neiman had a 72 yesterday. Um, Taylor Gooch, 73. Cameron Smith. Now, there's a guy I thought would be competing this week. End of the weekend, 75-75. He's a much better talent than that. He had a, Harold Varner. Had a 70 yesterday, coming off 76 in, in round three. So that's not too bad. And then, of course, the, the three guys, that the two guys that stood out were Patrick Reed had a 68 and Phil Mickelson had a 65. Um, I think that's the lowest round for a guy in his fifties ever. Um, so kudos to them. Uh, but it certainly wasn't enough to catch Rom. And then Brett Kepka had a 75 yesterday. Uh, <clears throat> um, now, you might be right. I don't know how his knees are related to his, his drives, but his drives were um, consistently errant yesterday. And um, that was a huge factor for him. And he was scrambling to get up and down. He was doing great the first two days, getting up and downs, which at, at Augusta, that's the name of the game. If you can get up and down, 
I mean, I love the classic ending from Rom, how he got up and down in Seve Ballesteros style, where he uh, had a clunker of a drive, but then had to hit up close to the green and then had to go over that towering sand trap to the left of that, of that just epic green and then hit a sandwich up there to within four feet and then nailed the putt. I thought that was just awesome. And speaking of that, I might as well get this quick story in. Is that uh, Rom confided yesterday that in his uh, post, in his speech to the Augusta um, crowd, that uh, bef- ten minutes before teeing off on Thursday, he received a text from Zach Ertz, Super Bowl winner for the Eagles and now current Arizona Cardinals. And of course, as you said, Rom lives in Arizona, and you know he was. Uh, met his wife there at Arizona State. He was an All-American at Arizona State um, golfer there. So, yes, he's very tied into the Arizona community. And Zertz Ertz wrote something to the effect of, boy, that that first green um, on number one and the Masters lying ahead of you looks like it's made to order. Um, and then Rob said, and I proceeded to four-putt the first green <laughs> ten minutes later. And asked Ertz, Ertz not to text him like that ever again. To which Ertz, Ertz saw and replied back, I apologize for nothing. I'm going to text you like that every major championship. Congratulations, my friend. Um, which I thought was really cool. Uh, <laughs> so I wrote about that on Revenge of the Birds this morning. Uh, the article's titled R- Rambo Jenks? Question mark. Because I, I contend that. that, you know, Ertz's encouragement, while it hurt on the first screen, um, perhaps maybe set a nice tone. Because I'll tell you what, after that four-putt, Rombo went on a mission. He went on a tear. I mean, he birdied like six holes and eagled another. He wound up from being two over after one hole to uh, seven under. So he caught up nine strokes after that first round 65, his best round of the tournament. So, and so did Kepka have a 65 then um, that day. Uh, so did Hovland. Um, so, you know, I, I'll tell you, that's really a cool story from, from Zach Ertz. And I love his response. Like, heck yeah, I'm going to keep texting you. You're going to win championships. Um, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll keep it going. Yeah, to win championships and green jackets and whatever else might be in store for for John Rom going forward in his career. Because, I mean, like you said, John John Rom is uh, is one of those best golfers in the world, and he's been there for a few years now, and he's got that local Arizona connection. Closing the loop on what you said before that, I I would be so interested to know what if Brooks Kepka hadn't had all those knee injuries. Because the knee injuries came right after right. he won the right. four majors in a row. That right. I think he had multiple knee surgeries. He tore his. He did both knees. <laughs> You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looks good though. I, I mean, he wasn't. Um, you know, his knees look like they're they're pretty strong at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's why I was so shocked to see him at the top of the leaderboard. I was like, I hadn't. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about Brooks Kepka being a a major champion in years and years. I know he was there at the, I think it was the open championship a couple of years ago and he was at the top, but I just hadn't thought about him being at the top of the sport in years. And so that's why I was, right. I, I was kind of mentally going into Sunday thinking this is going to be a coordination of Brooks Kepka at the end, which was going to be uncomfy for people, but it was going to be a coordination for Brooks Kepka, And by by the time right. we got to the ninth hole on round four, it was pretty clear that it was it was Rom who was going to be coordinated. Yeah, um, it was. I thought he was hitting the ball so well, um, but you know, it's it's thing about Augusta is it catches up to you. I mean, those greens, you just have to be so precise, and you also have to know. It's local knowledge. I mean, you have to know 
which pins to be below when you're putting and which ones you can't afford to be above. And, you know, and a lot of it has to do with breaks. Kepka said he, he didn't get some of the breaks he was hoping yesterday, um, which is true. Um, sometimes you, you don't get the kind of roles that you, you need and f- fact deserve. Um, and hitting some good shots into greens, they can roll off. And, you know, sometimes it's just uh, fate to a degree, but, um, yeah, I mean, he, he looks in pretty rock-solid shape right now, and, and uh, we'll see. I mean, I mean, I don't begrudge Kepka or others, Mickelson, for, you know, um, for taking the Saudi money and going to live or whatever, if that's what they feel is best for them. I kind of feel sad for them in a way because it's, it's, I think they've lost some fans um, and kind of uh, in the process or lost some of the charm that they had. I'm Kepska was always sort of a polarizing figure because he's, he's not very, um, you know, uh, he's just sort of like a curmudgeon on the course and he's not, <laughs> which of, which part when he went when he did an interview in GQ when he said he wanted to be a baseball player and settled on golf and doesn't really enjoy playing golf <laughs> that part yeah I mean there's something to him that's a little prickly um, and not warm and fuzzy although I thought he handled himself comportment wise yesterday with class and I thought you know he, he was great to uh, John Rahm afterwards and um you know, but and then you miss out. I mean, if you're playing on a different tour, you're missing out on the the day to day camaraderie you have with the other players on the tour. You know, and Phil Mickelson just looks like a totally different guy. Um, he's lost a lot of weight. Um, you know, and here was a guy who was an icon and re- revered golfer, one of the most revered golfers in the history of the PGA. And, you know, now I think some people just don't know what to make of him. And, of course, he's got reports of gambling um, debts. And, um, you know, I, I, to Phil's credit, he got it rolling yesterday and snuck up from behind. And, you know, and he, I'm sure it felt really good for him. And I, I wonder what that did for him emotionally, too, is that, you know, um, to know that, some fans of Augusta were cheering for him and, you know, maybe there's a sense of nostalgia there because the, you know, PGA tours, you know, um, the best tour on, on the planet. And yes, it's not perfect. And no, the Saudis aren't pumping millions of dollars into it, but the PGA has adjusted. I mean, they've raised their purses in, in many of the tournaments. I mean, John Rahm won a th- cool 3.2 yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mickelson and Kepka each won 1.58. Um, that's not chump change. Um, and it's, but it's the camaraderie, not only with the fellow players, but with the fans uh, that I think, you know, when they're around guys more, um, you know, it's kind of like when, if you hire an, a, a, a nanny or a you know a, um, an au pair <laughs> suddenly you know if you're like a two income family and you know the your kids are with the au pair all day suddenly the au pair is the favorite person in the house <laughs> how does that work and uh, you know so I mean when you're around people more and and you know um, and interacting with the fans and the, and your colleagues and fellow players, I think that that makes a difference. Um, but interesting too that last night um, on sixty minutes following the tournament on CBS, they had a segment on sports wa- wa- washing. Sports washing. It's hard to say um, that the Saudis are doing. Um, I don't know if you happen to see that, but I think it's fascinating what they're doing over there um, to attract not only golfers, but they 
what do they paid Ronaldo like 200 million, right? To uh, mm-hmm. for, for a season, which they were saying on, on uh, 60 Minutes last night, it's like more than Mike Trout, Patrick Mahomes, like four huge mega stars in the in the USA, more in one season than those, you know, the top some of the top stars in our professional sports. Um, they included LeBron, you know, 200 million a year. I mean, are you kidding? Um, but you know, the sports washing aspect of that, it's like, what, you know, what's the driving spirit of this? Uh, and I think globally, this is a huge question because, you know, the, uh, the, the Saudis are using oil money to attract, you know, famous sports figures to Saudi Arabia. And they're putting a lot of money into, um, you know, trying to build the country up and to enhance its image. And in a way, the sports washing part of that is the, the concerns about, you know, they're trying to do, you know, attract people you know, sports stars there to make it look like this is an attractive place to be when in fact still politically and culturally, um, you know, there's a, there are real um, dubious aspects of the way they do their, their politics, the way they treat their people. Although women are more liberated now and can drive and some, some can take off their, um, you know, dressings, they um, can show their faces, I should say, um, which they haven't been able to do in the past. I mean, there have been some liberalizing of, of, of uh, the culture there. But at the same time, I mean, recently 51 people were beheaded for um, perceived um, violations versus the government. I mean, you had the whole murder of that journalist, um, a Saudi-born journalist of the Washington Post, which has been led back to this Prince King. Um, you know, and so the washing part of this is is fascinating and perhaps a bit troubling. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Well, the masking of human rights violations is something that is kind of, it, it's an attempt to legitimize the government in a way that puts human rights atrocities aside. There's a great comparison piece that uh, was done by Bomani Jones that talks about America in the 1970s as compared to some of the stuff now in terms of human rights violations and civil rights violations in America. And so what what the well, the thing that also happened was Qatar and the World Cup had tons of human rights atrocities associated with it. And the sports washing it felt like didn't work because the it didn't legitimize the government uh, perhaps in some capacity it brought people from other countries into but you're seeing stadiums that were half filled and uh you know the the qatari government ended up walking away in a negative light because of all the the human rights atrocities being brought to the surface and similarly saudi arabia has the infinite resources and there because there are motivations outside of making money they're willing to pour hundreds of millions of dollars into something that will not make money back but at the same time you get cristiano ronaldo and phil mickelson to come play in your country and to represent your country in a certain respect and so i when it as it relates to the golf side of it well, sports washing doesn't work in the first place. Like the the idea of using it to legitimize your government doesn't work. It it only serves to mask the atrocities. Um, some people do this with sports ownership as well. Just you become known as the person who does this thing instead of the person who commits human rights atrocities. Or, uh, for example, the owner of the Detroit Pistons who made his money on. Uh, predatory for profit prisons, uh, things like that. Like you can, you can become known for something else instead of the human rights atrocities that you're committing. And so, from that respect, I don't think it works. I think it's just more for the clout aspect of like, hey, Cristiano Ronaldo plays in our country, and we can serve 
the people of our country by providing Cristiano Ronaldo to come play soccer for our main. I think there's only like two major teams in Saudi Arabia, but one of our two major teams. Right. And so from the golf standpoint, I feel like their long-term intention is to make money or create a competitive league. I just don't know the path to do that. And I I've said, as long as we've been doing these things and I've said it for years, I don't understand the fascination with Phil Mickelson. I don't understand why he's to some extent still the second most famous golfer in the world. I think it's just because he happened to coexist in the period in between Tiger Woods being the best golfer in the world and Tiger Woods becoming uh, not revered, going from being revered to being uh, one of the most hated people in America because of the infidelity and because of the uh, the knee injury slash everything that happened with Tiger afterwards. And so I've never understood the fascination with Phil Mickelson. I've never understood why he at 52 years old is worth $200 million to the, the Saudi Arabians. I Nothing has made sense in that respect with Phil Mickelson, but him being the face of the the live golf tour, like you said, has for people who pay attention, it has put a stain on his reputation. And I mean, there'll still be people who cheer on Phil Mickelson at majors. They just, they won't go out of their way. I mean, I, like I said, I've been to the U S open before there's people just following Phil up and down. And I think this was before he had officially defected to live. And there were just people following him up and down every round that he was partaking in. And so, I think it's just he's somehow in a way still the second most famous golfer nationally. And that leads to him making a whole bunch of money and Dustin Johnson kind of in the same group. I've been live agnostic in the fact that like they, they should be allowed to exist because that, you know, the PGA tour is not exactly coming from a place of, of purity and a good, a good intentions of wanting to, point out the human rights atrocities in Saudi Arabia. That's not the place they're coming from. But at the same time, I'm just, I've made the call to not follow it and not financially support it. And it sounds like a lot of golf fans have kind of made that same call of, we're not going to go out of our way to support the, the live golf tour and hope that it will collapse under its own weight because they won't be able to turn a profit in America or globally potentially. Yeah. Well, I think, the appeal of Phil Mickelson to, for the American public is like, he was kind of like the all American boy, you know, uh, you know, the came up through the ranks and, um, you know, he's a lefty and grip it and rip it, go for everything. Um, you know, we've seen that him lose us opens, which he never was able to win. Um, being over aggressive, I think some people appreciate that. I'm sure they appreciate that. I'm about him, about him, you know, no risk it, no biscuit kind of approach to playing golf, you know, and then his, his imagination around the greens has always been, um, been, you know, right up there with some of the very best, like Seve Ballesteros, um, one of the greatest golfers of all time. So I think there's was the allure of that, but then the sort of the golden boy family with the kids and, you know, his wife and Amy and, you know, and, and all that, the, you know, having the family on the tour when, you know, and it's particularly in majors and hugging them afterwards. I mean, there was a Tiger-esque aspect to that, you know, um, Tiger didn't have kids, but he had his mom and dad there and family, um, you know, so I think there were a lot of things that there were a lot of things to that image that Americans really appreciated. But, you know, then now, I mean, I, I hope his family life's okay, but I think he's jeopardized that with his gambling um, addiction, um, apparent gambling addiction, and kind of the reports of the money he's lost in gambling are just astronomical. And I hope they're inaccurate. I hope they're exaggerated. But obviously, uh, you know, that image, like Tiger's, took a turn for the worse 
you know, coincided with kind of a fall from grace um, of sorts. And Liv was like a comfy landing pad, um, a safety net for Mickelson at this age and time in his career. But uh, it's kind of a pyrrhic victory in a way because of the cost that it, you know, the cost of, you know, um, his image on the PGA tour, his fandom, um, et cetera, that he had built up over the years. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are conflicted about it. I just sort of see it as like, it's just as, as if uh, some Americans go over and play the European tour. Um, that's all within their rights and, and, you know, all the more power to them. If, if guys from the States who are highly revered on on the PGA tour, want to go off and play in a different league. I'm fine with that. I'll miss them. You know, I mean, to a degree, you won't follow them. You're not going to follow them, but I, I haven't, I just don't. And plus, you know, I mean, Trump's involved, anything he's in Trump involved in, I am a hundred percent anti, um, and, and, uh, you know, the whole Trump golf thing is just irksome to me. So, um, and golf angles, uh, but uh, that's my own preference there. But no, I don't. I I have my hands full enough with the PGA Tour, and love their venues and the tradition of their venues. That you know, whoever wants to show up and play in those, I'm fine with. Plus, we have all these these brilliant young players coming up that uh, are really going to, I mean, this kid, Sam Bennett, looks like he's going to be around for a while. I mean, and you, you've got, you know, there's just so many good young players coming through the system and, and coming up and rising up through the ranks. And that's always fun to watch. And, you know, and I, I so yeah, no, I, I'm like, I'm with you. I'm not supporting live, um, but I'm not condemning it. I'm not condemning, a, a golfer's choice. I am questioning just how much, you know, like I said, sort of the, you know, is it a selling of one's soul in a way, you know, to move away from, um, you know, the kind of the organization that helped get them to where they are and the fan base and fellow competitors who helped them get to where they are. It's kind of sad in a way. For someone like Cam Smith, I think the calculation is a little different than Phil, who, you know, Phil is responsible for building up the PGA Tour all those years ago. And uh, the other part to it is like when we're when we're narrative building, sometimes there needs to be an adversary. And so it became Tiger and Phil, Tiger and Phil between each other, even though yeah. it was never really a competition between the two of them. There's right there's no real moment where it was tiger versus Phil at the end. It was just Phil was the closest thing to tiger at, at, from like 2005 to 2008. He was probably the best golfer in the world, but at, like that was damn near 20 years ago. <laughs> and I don't understand. I mean, maybe it's just because careers last longer in golf, but I just, I don't understand the continued fascination with Phil Mickelson. And then at the end of the day, he's, he's back at the, you know, he won the, the major at 50 years old a, a couple of years ago. I think it was the PGA that he won in 2021. And we talked about him a whole lot after that. And then now he's back at the top of the major championship ladder again at 52 years old. And, you know, credit to him. He's, he's built a longevity in his career. It's just, I there's it's very strange that he's still one of the the two if not three most famous golfers in the world and maybe that's just because no one has really no one in the last decade has really grabbed the mantle and run with it except for probably Rory that'd probably be the closest thing I could think of to a second most famous golfer in the world but maybe it's maybe it's just because no one's really ran with it I mean Spieth had a moment Kepka had a moment Dustin Johnson had a moment, even Scotty Scheffler's having a moment, but no one's really sustained across 10 to 15 years in the way that I guess Phil Mickelson has. Yeah. You know, I mean, if Ricky Fowler were winning more, he'd be right up there. I mean, he's adored. 
Look at mm -hmm. Freddie Couples at the Masters yesterday. I mean, at his age, uh, making the cut, and, you know, still swinging the has that sweet swing, and you know, he's he's a magnetic figure in golf. I mean, a lot of it's tied into the nostalgia and all that, but uh, you know, I think that we the rivalry now that. The, the, between Rom and Scheffler, you've got some real firepower there and star power there to hold this thing up high. Um, and then, of course, Spieth and JT, Justin Thomas, um, they're so highly regarded. And Rory is an icon, international icon. He's loved and adored in America. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's become sort of Rory being the spokesperson uh, against uh, the live tournament and R Rory said recently, and I, I don't know if this accounted for his, his uh, like just sort of um, atypical play this weekend, but uh, uh, that it's taken a, a toll on him emotionally and physically um, just the fight of trying to, you know, um, stand up for the PGA and, I can imagine that. That's you know, it's it's caused a lot of friction. Particularly, we don't even know behind the scenes the kind of conversations that people are having and the kind of um, severing of ties and and uh, and one-time alliances and being and, the uh, as you call it, being the John Lennon or the Paul McCartney of golf, uh, as someone who comes to America and makes it his own and becomes beloved across the country. It's not easy being the the John Lennon of golf. It's a, it's a hard right. life for Rory. Yeah, I would say he's the most Rory's the most charismatic golfer on the planet right now, um, and he's part of the PGA Tour. So we're lucky to have him and. And I think he'll always will be. He he enjoys the history. That's the thing I was struck by uh, with John Rahm is his understanding of of the history of golf and how it's evolving. And um, very impressive. And a lot of these young golfers come up through the ranks and, and with this sense of history. And um, and that's a that's a credit to the golfers and their awareness and their their um, their love for the sport that they honor and value the historical aspects of the game and and the venues like Augusta and Pebble Beach and um, TPC Sawgrass down in Florida you know um, <clears throat> and all the the uh, Tory Pines your favorite mm -hmm. um, you know so that's great and then the way they look forward to playing there you know um year after year it, it's there's such an allure to it and, um i you know i think golf is in great shape particularly after yesterday uh you know i mean that tournament all weekend long gave you everything you could want out of golf except for saturday afternoon <laughs> at the masters um the thrill that we normally get there but it made made up was made up for by a sunrise to sunset um display of golf and 8 a.m uh, to 8 p.m yeah. yeah you know breakfast at, at augusta i love too the they did some great specials about the sandwiches they make there um amazing that these sandwiches kyle are like well they only charge a dollar fifty a sandwich, and apparently their egg salad is to die for. Um, so they have egg salad on white. They do a um, a tuna on honey wheat, and they have the most sort of iconic sandwich they've sold forever is cheese and pimento, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, you either love it or you hate it, but um, you can go through and. For $20, they had a guy from CVS, CVS go through there. And uh, for $20, he got like four sandwiches, um, these uh, homemade peach um, ice creams that uh, they make there. Of course, the Georgia peach, um, you know, uh, and, and a, um, 
a home brewed uh, tall glass of beer. Um, it was a couple other desserts. Oh, oh and the the, the uh, homemade chips. So for all for twenty dollars, all this stuff. It was so impressive. You'd think at Augusta they would rob people blind. Instead, they don't. I think that's so cool that you know it's so um, fan friendly and um, you know it's almost like a thanks to the fans for for their patronage. Yes, for, for getting robbed blind on the tickets. Thank you for your patronage. We will allow you to. Uh, we'll allow you the the cheap food prices. They <laughs> and they never raised the price. Not in forty years. They never they, raised the price of what of the food. Oh yeah. Oh, is that it? In forty years, never I'm just before. guessing. I mean, right. It, it, as long as I've been alive, I've been hearing the stories about the dollar fifty pimento and cheese. So I presume yes. it's been that way for about forty years. Yeah. Oh, good for you, man. Good. See, there's a guy who knows this golf lore. I, I've been hearing it every year. Jim Nance every year at the Masters talking about right. it or yeah. whatever the the first day group. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's Joe Buck or whoever. I didn't watch much of the ESPN broadcast the first two days, but whoever does the the ESPN broadcast talks about it. Right. Exactly. Oh, Nance definitely does. And uh, Joe Buck's not there anymore. <laughs> Well, Joe oh, Buck. Joe Buck's at ESPN. Oh, right. I know that's ESPN right. has the first couple yeah, days. I don't, like true. I said, I have no idea who does the <laughs> ESPN broadcast. If it's Scott Van Pelt or whoever it is, but well, uh, the new guy is Trevor Immelman. Um, mm-hmm. He's the he's the color guy now. He does a really fine job. I um, he was a past Masters champion. He had some good stories to tell, and and uh. You know who's awesome is Dottie Pepper. Mm-hmm. Her commentary is fantastic. I mean, she's the new. Um, uh, oh, who was the guy I loved? Um, who recently passed? Um, Ken Venturi. I always thought had excellent angles and things to say. And she's very sharp, sharp-witted, and understands things. You know, and phrases them in certain ways. You're just like, oh wow, exactly. Um, and she came up with quite a few doozies during the during the telecasts. Uh, I was very impressed with that. As, but as yeah, time what, goes how on, much is yeah. how much is a ticket there now? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, I I don't even know how you would get tickets to Augusta. Every time right. I hear of someone going, it's like, oh, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who right, got right, tickets. That's right. I have no idea what it is. Maybe a year in advance or something, or put it this way. I've never tried, so I don't know. It's not a very diverse crowd. Uh, So, no. uh, Yeah. I mean, and that's sad in a way to me. Because, well, that's the whole thing with the, the Augusta National Golf Club is that. It is uh, in in its own way. It is a secret society. You don't know who's a member. You don't, you you don't get access to the people who are members. It's right. uh, I think they turned away some. I, maybe it's Bill Gates or something. They turned away like famous rich people because they just don't need the money. It's in a way, it's its own secret society that yeah. operates in the shadows and puts on a golf tournament every year to flex on their their power and their cool little golf club. And like you said, it is not a diverse group, and uh, they. Right. They have slowly but steadily started allowing women. I don't think there was a woman until a very shockingly recent amount of time as part of the Augusta right. National Golf Club right. and uh, non-white people being, a, again, you don't know who's a member of the club, right. so right. You, you, you don't know who's in the group. But Condoleezza Rice was one of the first African-American women, um, I think, who joined and that, that would have been, to be a recent, very recent time. Yeah, because... it was. I mean, it's all been fairly recent. I mean, uh, yeah, you described it well. Um, Secret Society uh, sounds about right. I think there's a lot that goes on there that that people still don't know. And uh, it is a very selective and secret society complete the alliteration on that so and not a very diverse crowd at all 
Uh, no, I mean, I, that's obvious when you're there and you are watching is that, you know, it's, uh, no, <laughs> exactly. It's hard. You to have to, you have to get connections to even get into right. it. Yep. Yep. Um, the only diversity I see more than other groups are Asian, but, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> but be that as it may, um, you know, and I, Imagine, you know, those tickets are probably prevent a lot of people from attending the Masters. You know, attending golf venues is really fascinating. Well, these days it's a little bit more fan friendly because there are there um, highlight boards, and you can you know, but because otherwise, if you, can you imagine being there at Augusta, sitting in one spot all day long? Mm -hmm. when when i went to tory it's like no you have to be following groups and when we went for the last day it was like we're running from 9 to 16 to see what's happening and following and then then running to 18 because apparently john rom is making a charge at the end and getting to see that but well uh, then when you're on the move you're now sometimes stuck behind 10 deep um trying to jump up and see over the crowd yeah Um, so you know that makes it a challenge as well but uh thank god those three trees that came down in the storm um didn't you know no one got hurt by that that was bizarre did you see that i saw the video of one of them going down it was that was wild because it was just literally right off the green correct three in a row just down boom Unfortunately, they averted catastrophe there, and thank goodness. And I thought they did a great job trying to usher the people out of when there was a, a lightning warning, and and then you know making the rise call to call the tournament off, call the playoff when um, for the day on Saturday when it was clear that you know they were squeegeeing off the greens and. You know, in Augusta, that you don't want to have to do that, and it was just too much standing water and too much to absorb. So they made the right calls, and they they run run a great show. And that grounds crew has to be as good as it gets on the planet. So, and that course is just so pristine and 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 beautiful. Um, it's just everything about it is just a you know to to watch even on TV is 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 so exciting um and inspiring um it's like (laughs) the old mark twain quote and what he said about golf i I think augusta takes this away but twain said golf was a hell of a way to ruin a great walk so (laughs) (laughs) at augusta i don't think too much of anything can ruin those walks. Um, if you let golf ruin those walks for you, that you you got a problem because it's just it's it's just um, absolutely gorgeous, uh, all of it. And um, in springtime too, it's a symbol of spring and and hope and new beginnings. And this is the start of the of the four majors. We already had sort of the fifth major, the uh, players' championship, and now um, now it's on to the PGA next. Correct? That is correct. It's in May now, so PGA comes up next. Uh, any any final thoughts on this first Walter Mitchell Golf Power Hour? Well, for you, take it easy, fans. Uh, we'll we'll catch you again after the uh, PGA on in in May and. We try to do this after the majors and, uh, you know, um, as always, it's great to be on with Kyle, Little Rock, Ledbetter, um, and, uh, talking golf. It's a passion. Um, love getting into it with discussions of it with everybody. Love hearing who their favorite players are and everything. I gotta be honest. The guy I was rooting for was Victor Hovland. Um, I've grown grown pretty fond of him. Um, his game's not quite quite there yet, but he shows um, like he did yesterday uh, 
or the day before on the finishing the third round where he birdied five holes in a row, I believe it was. Um, he gets streaky and really good. You know, I, I love the international aspect of golf. Um, that's always appealed to me. I love the thought of John Rahm coming from Spain to Arizona State and, you know, being an All-American there and now still living in Arizona and having friends like Zach Ertz on the Cardinals in Arizona. <laughs> that really appeals to me. So, you know, it's a great international, one of the great international sports. And, you know, I got to be honest, I used to be just so pro-American, I couldn't stand any non-American because of the Ryder Cup and all that. Now I'm just so pro-golf that and fascinated with with these guys who come from all over the globe um, to play. And and the, like the saying goes about PGA, these guys are good. <laughs> so until next time, thanks so much, Kyle, for having me back. And um, stay in the fairways, my friend. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.